All right, let's see. Useful and productive, we are back to Ecclesiastes. We are headed back to the salt mines, but rest assured, the end is nigh. Not, not like, like sandwich boards standing on the street corner. I mean, of the book, of the book. You can, you can see the end from here. We only have two more Sundays, and that will be the end of it. Now, reminders. We are in the application portion of the program. Solomon is applying the wisdom that he has gleaned from his examinations of life. Now, here's where Solomon is tying himself in a mental knot. Solomon's examination has determined what about life? What is it? Vanity, emptiness, meaninglessness. Okay. If all of life is meaningless, and you are attempting to find meaning in life, (laughs) do you see where you might have a problem? Like, yeah, just, just slight. So, what's the solution? Because that's what Solomon is building towards, and we aren't there yet. And I've gone out of my way to not run to the solution, so that, I mean, I know you know what it is, and like you can read ahead, you're smart people, but it's more fun to kind of put it off and, and look at this the way Solomon is looking at it. And the benefit that we have is that we can see the right by understanding what is wrong. Does that make any sense? So what we're going to do is, as Solomon is trying to find meaning, meaning in his meaninglessness, yeah, that's a word. If it's not, it is now. As he's doing that, we can see where he falls short, and we can put the rest of Scripture together properly where we can find the appropriate meaning. So that is what we will continue to do. We'll do that for a couple more weeks, and I'm still not telling you where we're going next. You'll have to wait till it shows up in the bulletin, because I know some of you are like, I want to read ahead. No, not allowed. So let's dive in, shall we? Verse one, dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. So a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. That's just a lovely way to start off right off the bat right there. I mean, this is an obvious example. Does anybody want like Dead Bug by Chanel? (laughs) How would you even do that commercial? I mean, perfume commercials are weird enough. Could you imagine if they based them on like dead flies? As far as the fragrance, be like, some people so people would buy anything. Have you met people? Pe- people have lost what's left of their minds. Now, nobody wants the dead bug fragrance. I don't care how few bugs are in it. Like if I, if I buy you the nice Chanel, but it's only got one dead fly. <laughs> Just a couple of wings. <laughs> like when they, do they still, I haven't been to a, a, a department store in so long. Do they still have the ladies that assault you when you walk through with the little perfume bottles? Like, I used to threaten to walk through there with a blowtorch. Be like, don't do it. Don't do it. I will light this place up. We're going to stand there and be like, would you like to? No, 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 no. Okay, so they do still do that. Can you imagine? Be like, no, no, no. It's just, it's just flies legs. <laughs> now, what's the example here? It's an example that's used throughout Scripture. You can see it in other places. Paul uses it in Galatians 5. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Like, if you've ever made bread, you don't have to take, like, 27,000 pounds of yeast to put it in the bread. Like, for all the ingredients, it's, I've never understood this, it's like a little packet of yeast, like the size of those little alcohol wipes. And it's enough to make, if you're not care, careful, the bread will, we did this once, the, well, more than once, but the bread started climbing out of the pan, and I'm like, we, we need to bake this before devours the kitchen, and we were suddenly in the 1950s version of the blob. We don't want to do that. Now, Paul knows this, but this is also not an example um, exclusive to the Old Testament and to Paul, places like Matthew 16. 
the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began to discuss this among themselves, saying, he said that because we didn't bring any bread. (laughs) Sure he did. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss bread? Um, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many ba- large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees in the Sadducees. And remember, Ecclesiastes 1.9 is always in effect. There is nothing new under the sun. So yes, you get one dead fly in your perfume. You don't want to use it anymore. So a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. This is why you have to be careful in the world. This is what happens. You bring a little bit of the world in and you go, no, 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 it's just a, it's a little tiny corner of the room. It'll be fine. There's nothing that we have to worry about. Just, just, just a little corner. And then that little corner is two little corners. Like, yeah, then you guys know the story of the camel's nose, right? The parable of the camel's nose? That the, um, okay, it's, uh, it's a Middle Eastern parable. The trader is out with his camel. He's got all his goods in the, in the, in the, uh, in the tent. He's set up for the night because the desert is hot during the day, but you know, no clouds, wide open spaces. It gets very, very cold at night, so he's nice and warm in his tent. The camel sticks his head in and goes, hey, hey, you're nice and warm in there, but I'm really, really cold out here. Do you mind if I just stick my nose under so I can warm it up? It's very, very chilly. And the guy looks around. Yeah, there's plenty of room. So he says, sure. The camel sticks his nose under. A few minutes goes by, and the camel goes, you know... Like, my whole head is kind of cold. Do you mind if I just put my head in the tent so I can warm up? And the guy says, yeah, sure, that's no problem. And a few minutes goes by, and the camel looks around. You know, there's a lot of room in this tent, and there's still a lot of me outside of the tent, and it's very, very cold, and it's getting colder. Do you mind if I bring, like, most of me into the tent just to, like, warm my feet up? It'll be nice. And the guy looks, and he's got room, so he scoots over a little bit, and the camel comes in. Now, you know, most of the camel's in. And then finally, the camel goes, well, you know... Rear end out there is it's a little, still a little chilly. Do you mind? There's still plenty of room for everything. And the guy looks around. Yeah, there's plenty of room, so invites him in. Now the, now the whole camel and the guy are in the tent, but here's the problem. The tent's big, but it's not that big. So the camel looks at him and says, you know, you know there's really not enough room for us here in this tent. Why, why don't you step outside for a little while? <laughs> it's the concept of the camel's nose. You give just a little bit. Put it simply. You give them an inch, and they'll take a mile. Exactly. If you've had children, you understand this concept very, very well. (laughs) This is the concept of life. You give it just a little bit, and next thing you know, everything is ruined. Solomon is pointing out part of the wisdom of the world. He's going to do that in the next couple of verses. We'll continue moving forward. A wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. Go vote accordingly. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You know my rules on politicians. When a politician, regardless of party, does something that is good and right, we say, that is good and right. When a politician, regardless of party, does something that is idiotic, we say, that is idiotic, don't do that again. That's just the rules for life. Remember, we stand on the outside and call balls and strikes. We do not stand on the inside and go, this is my guy, he does no wrong. No good comes from this. Every time you try to elevate humanity or any member of humanity to that status, they will let you down. Always remember the rule of idols. What do they do? 
crush the hearts of their worshipers. Not some of the time, all of the time. Remember your foundation, remember what is true and right, and hold everyone, everyone, everyone to that standard, including yourself. You call right, right, you call wrong, wrong, not some of the time, but all of the time. So that's not about politics. However, it is a bit of a cultural thing. So if you were left-handed, you are slightly more evil than everybody else, just so you know. <laughs> just I, not a lot, just, just, a, just a little. You're not outside the grace of God, but you know, he's got to work a little harder for you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm kidding. But historically speaking, the right has been the side of power. See, as, you, as she should. Um, the right has been the sign of power and a symbol of righteousness. The left has been a sign of uncleanness. It's just, look, it's just the culture of the world. Solomon is borrowing from that. Wise actions go what? Towards the side of righteousness, away from the side of foolishness, towards what is right and good. That's, again, Christian, why your foundation and your focus matters. Things like Colossians 3. If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, the place of honor, the place of the throne of God, the place where your righteousness dwells. Keep seeking those things, not seeking after political parties, not seeking after worldly acclaim, because worldliness is foolishness, even just a little bit of it, but seeking after righteousness in God. That's the goal here. Verse 3. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. <laughs> this is why you should be patient. This is why you should take your time. When are you most likely to say something foolish about anything going on in the world? When you speak first and think second. And again, what does the world demand constantly? Ready, fire, aim. Christian, don't be like that. Scripture demands what? Patience. Thinking, slow down, evaluate, consider everything. How many times have you made a decision, thought back and go, and somebody goes, well, what did you think was going to happen when this occurred? Well, I didn't think about that. Well, why didn't you think about that? Because you didn't think about it long enough. The world tries to do this to you constantly, tries to speed you up, tries to make you in a hurry. Like, can't win that way. Can't accomplish anything that way. You have to understand that it is God who runs and rules things, not you, and patiently evaluate. Otherwise, you enter into their foolishness and you do the same thing that the world is doing in the same manner. And guess what? You'll accomplish the same things. Verse 4. If the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure allays great offenses. Now, if you remember other parts of the book, that is fascinating to me. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes 8. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? Remember, Solomon made this argument. Why should you listen to the king? He's appointed by God. He has the power and the authority. Therefore, when you start arguing with him, what are you arguing against? This is part of the argument Paul's giving you in Romans 13. Remember, oh, I, I know I do this every single time we bring up the government, but I have to because... I kid you not, somebody wrote an article about this just this week and completely got it wrong. Always remember Romans 13 command to obey the government is not an absolute. And the reason I tell you it's not an absolute is the two places in your New Testament that you were told to do what the government tells you and to obey them are Romans 13 written by Paul and what 1 Peter 3 written by Peter. Who killed both of those guys? The government, which means they got to a point where the government said, you do this or you don't do this. And they said, yeah, no. They, they quoted Randy Jackson. That's a no for me, dog. Can't do it. I'm so old, I can remember American Idol. 
And one got crucified and one got beheaded. So always remember that governmental power is not absolute. God's power is absolute, and governmental power is supposed to operate in service to God. So go back to my first point. This is why you call balls and strikes. When the government is operating in accordance with what God has commanded, you say, good job. This is where we will rest, and we will do what you have told us to do. When government operates outside of that, you say, oh, contraire, mon frère, there is a king in heaven whom you will stand before, and I don't want you to keep doing what you're doing and have to stand before him because that's not going to end well for you. (laughs) And that's part of the warning that we give. So to me, this is fascinating, though, how Solomon understands this a little bit, because while he views the king as having great authority, he's telling you that if the king is wrong, stay calm and argue. Do not abandon the truth. And the king is supposed to listen to that. Again, this is why I tell you Solomon is the poster child for the unstable man, double-minded in all of his ways. He has seen the meaninglessness of life, and at the same time, he's going, there's, there's something else that we should be clinging to. And this is one of those places where it comes out. The wise king should see someone disagreeing, should see someone arguing, should see someone standing against, and should not allow anger to rise, but should follow that argument and be persuaded by the truth. If only the world actually operated like that, right? Which is, again, part of the problem Solomon's having, is he's whiplashing back and forth constantly. So let's have some more fun. Verse 5. Actually, warning. We're going to take 5, 6, and 7 as part of a unit because 6 kind of divides itself. So we're going to go through them 5 through 6.5. Sound good? (laughs) There is an evil I have seen under the sun, like an error which goes forth from the ruler. Folly is set in many exalted places. Now you could carry that along. While the rich men sit in humble places. We're going to pause right there. Why and how does that happen? Why is this evil going on? Ephesians chapter 4. I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Ephesians 4 is not the only place Paul talks about this. Romans 1. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Fallen humanity will always choose to focus upon and elevate the wrong thing by the wrong standard. Not some of the time, all of the time. This is one of the reasons why you have wisdom literature in your Old Testament, why Proverbs exists. Proverbs is not a promise. It's not like if you do this, this will happen. It's a general guide for the wisdom of life. If you do this, the world will make sense and you will make sense of the world. And in general, things will go well for you. This is how you need to live in the world, simply because you're not guaranteed the wonders and provisions of the blessings of life. You're guaranteed the wonders and provisions and blessings of God. And there's a difference between those two things, especially in the here and now. You operate in wisdom so that overall you make sense of this place and you can understand what is right and what is wrong so that you can call those balls and strikes and you can live in the center of the road. Go back to my driving analogy. Remember, where do we not want to drive? In the ditches. We want to be where? 
in the middle. How do you do that? By understanding what the problems are. Well, how do you do that, Christian? By understanding the problem of the world and what the wisdom of God actually is and following it accordingly. So to give you a really silly example of this, um, idiocracy was a prophecy. And if you've never seen the movie Idiocracy, I'm not encouraging you to watch it. I've seen it years ago. The concept is humanity has gone dumb. So the example that comes out of this that perfectly encapsulates it is who becomes president of the world, basically, when humanity has become completely stupid? A former professional wrestler. <laughs> Why? Because he's cool. Because he's big and he's strong and he has muscles and women love him and we all admire him. Stop and think, who was your senior class president in high school? Did you go, I mean, <laughs> is the captain of the football team ever the kicker? Why not? Because he's a kicker. <laughs> it's not an actual football player, it's a kicker. <laughs> who's, always, who's always the captain? Watch an NFL game, who's always got the little C on his chest? The quarterback, because he's smart and he's important and he's popular and everyone loves him. This is the wrong standard. This is the brokenness. Even bad quarterbacks get to be captains of their team simply because they're the quarterback. Which, you ever, want, you ever want one of those things that flies in the face of logic? This is always one of my fun trivia questions for football. I don't know if this has changed much in the recent years, but this is, this is probably old. Do you know what group of, what position group on a football team has the highest SAT scores? Offensive linemen. <laughs> The, the big 300, 350 pound, like, look like human hippos out there who look like they're doing the least of the athleticism, they're the smartest guys on the field on average. Because they have to think and they have to move. It's not, and that's always, always my favorite thing is they always look at retired football players. It's always the running backs and the wide receivers who are 300 pounds when they're in their 40s and 50s. And the offensive linemen are always like doing CrossFit. <laughs> because they're like, I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm broken down. I'm too smart to be doing this. I got to lose weight. <laughs> It's always one of those fascinating things of life. We get that backwards and we misunderstand it because we elevate and understand the wrong things. Why? Because that's the folly that sin introduces. That's the effect of sin. Um, big fancy theological term, the noetic effect of the fall. That sin corrupts everything, including the way you think. Including the way you think. This is one of those fun little arguments. You want to talk about theology nerd thing for the day? So this is something that I've read about and like maybe Lou has read about, maybe like one or two other people in here. There is this great argument in Protestant churches about Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Have you read up on this a little? And what's fascinating to me about that is it's a denial of Scripture because one of Thomas's biggest problems is that he thinks reason is unfallen and that proper human reason can help you understand God. But no, no, no. Human reason is fallen as well. The noetic effect of the fall. Your thinking is corrupted. It's the foolishness of your mind as scripture describes it. You can't reason your way back to God. You have to be transformed in order to understand God. Change of heart, which changes the mind, which leads to a change of understanding, which leads to a change in the actions of your life. Miss any one of those steps, the whole chain breaks down, and you are left in the same place. Now, We'll continue on. So folly is set in many exalted places while rich men sit in humble places. Verse 7. I have seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. Okay, Solomon, what's the problem with that? Well, Proverbs 19. Luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a slave to rule over princes. This is part of Solomon's understanding of royalty and kingship and all of that. We got an escapee. <laughs> You're put in position by God. Who appointed the king? Who appointed the prince? 
God did. Like, you're king, who's going to be king after you? Well, preferably in your mind, one of your kids. Well, who gave you those kids? God did. So God is determining who the next generation of rulers are. Now, for you to overthrow that would be a violation of God. I'm not giving you a good argument. I'm just giving you the foundation of Solomon's argument. So to elevate something other than what God has declared good would be a brokenness. Now, why does Solomon have a problem with that here? Humanity picking the wrong standard. Now, if you would like a really good example of the brokenness of humanity, who likes 20th century political history? Okay. (laughs) Karl Marx, founder of modern socialism and communism, son of a wealthy lawyer. Remember that key word right there. Vladimir Lenin, the guy who takes that Marxian philosophy and brings it into Russia, right? Son of a school superintendent who had actually achieved nobility as a status in the Russian system. Mao Zedong, the guy who brings the ideas into China. Son of a wealthy farmer and landowner. Pol Pot, you know, he's not too bad. He only kills a quarter of his people. Son of a wealthy farmer and landowner. Che Guevara, you know, the guy on all the teenagers' t-shirts today. Uh, Son of upper-class Argentine merchants. (laughs) Are you noticing a pattern here? Fidel Castro, you guys know who that is. Son of a successful sugarcane farmer. You know, the guy who owns the factories and the fields. Now, what's your common denominator for all the socialists of the world? They're rich. They come for money. And then they look and be like, this money is evil and we must undo it. Because humanity looks at the world and goes, I don't like this. So I've got to destroy it and build something else. Why? Fallen thinking, not a transformed heart. This is the brokenness in action. Now, indulge that brokenness for just a teensy-weensy little bit. What will you get? I don't know, just more death and destruction than any history, any century in human history. Always remember that. The combination of ideology and technology of the 20th century killed more people than you can possibly fathom. This is one of those things that gets forgotten in the ancient world. If you go back to, from really the Middle Ages backwards... Um, We've talked about this some on Wednesday nights when we've talked about this stuff. Ancient battles aren't bloodbaths. Like, you think of the movie 300 and, like, the Spartans are doing kung fu and killing everybody. That's not how that battle went. They were mostly pushing matches. You get shield and you get spear or sword, and your shield is designed to cover half your body and then half of the guy next to you. And the guy next to you, his shield covers half his body and half the next, and until you get to the end of the line, and now who's covering half of this guy's body? <laughs> so what becomes of these battles is they're this constant pushing because the guy on this side wants to step to the right because he's got no protection. So what happens to the guy next to him? And the guy, they all kind of move and they become pushing battles until you can take the field and where the slaughter would come in is when people would retreat. If you couldn't have an organized functional retreat where you're covering yourself, that's when lots of people died. You would not see mass slaughters in battles until World War I. Why? What did we have in World War I for the first time in war? Not just guns. Machine guns. And remember the idiocy of humanity. In World War I, multiple times, multiple times, we didn't do this once and go, you know, this is probably a bad plan. They dug the trenches, they set up the machine gun nests, and we had actual cavalry charges across no man's land. uh, Guys on horseback with swords charging machine gun nests. Guess how many of them came back? None of them. You would do that how many times before you go, you know, maybe we shouldn't do this plan anymore. 
The, the British did it multiple times. The French did it multiple times. The Germans did it multiple times. No, this time, we're going to ride really, really fast. <laughs> That's the foolishness of humanity. Why? Because we get an idea in our heads. This is how it works. This is how it should be. And we continue on and we create destruction. Our modern technology has combined with the foolishness of humanity and has created depression, destruction, death of grand scale that has never been for, before been seen. Why? We elevate and understand the wrong standards. Now, what's your cure, Christian? Well, you, with your changed heart, you, with the Holy Spirit abiding in you, you, with your renewed mind, have to stand upon the right foundation, lest you be like the fool. This is, again, part of that wisdom. I think it's still in your bulletin. This is the wisdom from Proverbs right there. Remember, not a rule, but a guideline. Do not answer the fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes, or, or, or lest you be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Well, which one do you do? You have to figure that out. But you have to figure it out standing upon the right foundation. Which, again, requires you to be slow. The modern world does not only produce the technology that makes all of these things possible, it creates the technology that makes things more complex. You are dealing with things coming from how many different directions? You're not built for that. I am not built for that. And all the talking heads on TV, they're not built for that either. You have to stop. You have to think through. What does this mean? How does this intersect with this? How does this intersect with that? What does that mean for righteousness? And you can't, you can't do that like this. You have to stop and be patient and evaluate and be slow and be willing to allow some of the foolishness because you can't answer all of it. Pick your battles. Pick the wars you're going to fight. Why? Because at the end of the day, they're going to be won by Christ. It's not like, no, 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 I didn't fight over there. Oh, now they're going to win. No, they're not. They're already defeated. The victory is assured by the work of Christ. You can rest in that. But, 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 but. Yes, yes, I know. That one got away. It's all right. Either Christ will deal with that sin now or Christ will deal with that sinner later. You have those options. You can be patient. You can't solve all the problems. As you do this, you will speak in wisdom. You will testify rightly. You will understand what is right and good and how that applies in the world. And you will not fall into the traps that they're constantly bringing to you. Verse 8. He who digs a pit may fall into it, and a serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. He who splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. All of those things can be summarized in one simple thing. Danger abounds, Will Robinson, right? How many things in life can be difficult for you? I especially like that, the, the axe one because this is a great example. Always remember, people get freaked out when you give them a really sharp knife. You should never be freaked out by a sharp knife. Sharp knives very rarely injure people in, in, in kitchens. You know what injures people? Dull knives. Because you start pushing, and when you start pushing, things start slipping and sliding. And, and didn't you learn that? Slip sliding away. That, that's bad. When you're holding the thing you're cutting in the one hand, and you've got the cutting choppy chop thing in the other hand, sliding is very, very bad. Yeah. Cameron's like, I can feel my thumb now. She, Cameron did this years ago. What were you peeling? Watermelons, cutting the rind off a watermelon with a, with a dull paring knife. And you know, with a paring knife, you're working back towards your hand. And so Cameron did that and went, wee! 
And so, yeah, super glue and duct tape because her dad's a farmer. <laughs> in lieu of stitches, there's some nice little scarring on the thumb, and every once in a while the nerve endings don't work right. Yeah, danger, Will Robinson, danger. So what is this getting on about? Wisdom. Sometimes bad things happen. Sometimes you can help them, like sharpen the axe. Sometimes you're knocking down a wall. Do you know what's in that wall? Are you going to you gonna go hire ground-penetrating radar before you do any home improvement project? <laughs> you haven't got that kind of money. Neither do I. So you have to accept some inherent danger. Okay, that's fine. In the midst of your accepting of danger, in the midst of your operating in wisdom, God upholds you either way. God has not forgotten his people, he has not forsaken them, and he is still operating in this world. Matthew chapter 6. Do not worry, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek, eagerly seek all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Never forget the wisdom from Ecclesiastes, all the way back to chapter 3. There is a season for everything. There is an appointed time for everything under heaven. Now stop. Remember the unspoken reality of that statement. If there is an appointed time for everything, what must there be? Someone who's making the appointments. You do not live in a world that's just spinning. You live in a world that is ruled and run by God. You live in a world where he has not forgotten you, where he is caring for his children, where he is organizing his kingdom, and where he is doing all of these things. Therefore what? Be wise. But something bad might happen. I get that. There's an appointed time for everything under heaven. A time to live and a time to die. We don't like thinking about that. It's a reality of life. Remember that, Christian. I'm not telling you to obsess on it, but... You know, something you should be aware that nobody survives life. It's just not how this place works. Therefore, live wisely. Live with an eye towards his kingdom and his righteousness. Verse 11. If the serpent bites before being charmed, there is no profit for the charmer. Yeah. Words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consumes him. The beginning of his talking is folly, and the end of it is wicked madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen, and who can tell him what will come after him? My favorite part about this, this is, what, the third time Solomon's gone on about speech and the wisdom and the folly of it? While telling you that foolishness multiplies words, we're reminding you of this for the third time. <laughs> Um, Solomon, for such wisdom, your foolishness is showing. Just, just, why though? Because this is one of those conundrums of life. I mean, you've never had this, right? You've never had this moment where you've said the wrong thing or you've done the wrong thing and you didn't mean to say it, you didn't mean to do it, and you know there was a better way to do it. And you're sitting there going, why? Why did I do this? Why did I say it like this? And you beat yourself up over it for three weeks straight. Oh, come on, I can't be the only person that does this. <laughs> This is, again, Scripture doesn't forget this warning. Again, James 3, um, Ephesians 4 gives you the same thing. Now stop, though. Remember, this is, this is, here's your practical training portion of the program. You need to guard your words. You need to guard your actions. You need to think through these things. So be careful with that, right, Christian? Think before you speak. Think before you act, and then everything will be fine, right? <laughs> Where's the true problem? Matthew chapter 12. 
Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Proverbs 4 gives you the same wisdom. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. You speak rashly. Why? Because I can't control my words. No, because you wanted to speak rashly. That was your problem. You spoke first and you thought second. That's not a word problem. That's a heart problem. I acted first and I thought second. That's not an action problem. That's a heart problem. You must discipline yourself and understand the way the world is supposed to be in Christ. And now, congratulations, all those times you speak first and think second, all those times you act first and think second, guess what you just found? You just found your sin. Now you get to kill it. See, there's a happy dance with it, right? Yay! Enjoy what in life? Enjoy what? The war against your sin. It's what you get this side of eternity. I don't want to fight my sin today. I don't care. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. Learn to love the fight because this is the blessings of God. This is the blessing of the work of the Holy Spirit each and every day. Is that you today looked at and went, oh my goodness, that is part of my spirit and soul. Congratulations. The Holy Spirit was like, hey, you see this thing? This evil, awful thing? You know what you should do today, right? Uh huh. You should kill that today. When you go, I can't believe I got to kill this today. Mm. Don't forsake the work of the Holy Spirit. Rejoice. You have progressed to the point today where it is time to put that thing to death. Let's get to work and enjoy it. Oh, goody. (laughs) You know, execution shall continue until morale improves. That's how life is supposed to work when it comes to your sin. This is part of your joy in life. This is the work of God, renewing your heart and transforming your mind day by day. I always say that backwards, don't I? Transforming your heart, renewing your mind day by day. Do what the Bible says, not what I tell you. (laughs) Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Always remember that. Yeah, this is the blessing of your transformed heart, your renewed mind, as you get to examine the things of life. Now, again, that requires you to actually be examining the things of life. It's not always fun, but it is always necessary. It is not always joyful, but it is fruitful. And as you enjoy the fruits of the work of the Spirit, as you rest more in the work of Christ and celebrate the kingdom that God is building, you will find joy in that work. You will find joy in the fight day by day because it is the blessing that the Spirit is giving you each and every day. Verse 15. The toil of a fool so wearies him that he does not even know how to go to a city. Okay, this one doesn't make sense. There's a, there's a modern corollary that I don't want to say. You thought of it, didn't you? <laughs> Some of you are grinning. I'm like, so I'm not going to go there. I will explain it this way. In the ancient world, it's the only places the roads went. Like if you followed the road, you know where you're going to go? The nearest city. That you, you can't miss it. It's like when I give people directions to the church and I'll tell them where we are on Linden Road. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know where Linden Road connects. I said, well, do me a favor. Go to Linden Road and just drive from one end to the other. If you miss us, just keep going. There's no hope for you. Because you can't drive down Linden Road and miss us, can you? I mean, if you do, what were you looking at? Like, you can't even say, well, there was a deer in the road and I swerved around it. Well, we were still right there. We're, we're, we're here for like a quarter mile of highway. I mean, you can drag race out there. You can't miss us. That's the city. If you're living in a village outside, you just get on a road and walk and you will find a city. Imagine being such a doofus 
that you walk on the road that only goes to the city and you missed it. That is what Solomon is describing here. Why? Because the fool is so preoccupied with the things of this world that he can't understand what is going on. He can't see it. He can't understand what it means. Uh, I always tell you, I like to, I like to listen to interviews and, and different things from secular scientists just simply because it's fascinating to me how these guys can be so brilliant and understand the mysteries of the cosmos and all of these things, and yet they walk right up to the truth of God, and then they're like, I don't know what happened. Where did he go? I don't understand it. I was, I mean, I was listening to one from a couple of years ago, and this guy was explaining that there's a possibility that the universe might be eternal. <laughs> and the guys in the interviewer is like so what does that mean for us i don't know so, so then the question becomes well if the universe is eternal where did it come from <laughs> silence <laughs> and i'm going oh my goodness oh my goodness and then my other favorite thing is i, I, I one of these days i'm going to start doing checklists listening to these interviews where the guy's like and then we were designed for this and i'm like oh by who <laughs> Again, if there's an appointed time, there must be what? Someone who made the appointment. If something is designed, then there has to be... I'm reading this book about which societies developed the technology when they did and why. And what's fascinating is this guy is trying to explain it purely from an evolutionary perspective. But he's trying to explain how, and this comes along, and this thing accomplished was accomplished here. And by the time you're done, the reason why this society has grain is because of these 17 things that all happened at the exact same time. And I'm going, is, is there just a possibility that there was, wait for it, grain? <laughs> no, 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 see, that's not a thing. We have to have the 27 things. It's the foolishness of the world, is that you can understand these great mysteries, you can see the truths of all of science, and yet at the end of the day, you can't get to the place it's supposed to point you. What's the point of doing science? To understand how God has ordered his creation. If you miss that foundation, you will come up with some interesting things, and some of you have science backgrounds and know exactly what I'm talking about, and I will leave it at that, but that's an example of this is that you're so foolish you walk on the road that leads to the city and you missed the city. You're so foolish that you studied all of creation fact that there is a creator. Hence the reality of things like Psalm 14. The fool has said in his heart that there is no God and they are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds and there is no one who does good. I have no idea why I am incapable of saying the word abominable in the first try. If you are, God bless you, I can say it after I stutter it, but on the first shot, I am incapable of saying it correctly, and it bothers me. Sorry. Verse 16. Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad, and whose princes feast in the morning. Is breakfast evil, Solomon? <laughs> 1 Kings 12, Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had directed, saying, Return to me on the third day. The king answered the people harshly, and he forsook the advice of the elders which they had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. See, Princes who are feasting in the morning are celebrating. They're drinking and they're having their banquet first thing in the morning. Well, what needs to happen that day? You need to wake up and do things, right? You got to make decisions, defend the borders, fix the walls, do stuff. Do you want to do that after you had a big old party and got drunk? 
Yeah, me neither. That's the silliness of this foolishness. I give you the um, Rehoboam example because Solomon, wisest man who's ever lived, his son, complete and total loon. The old advisors of Solomon gather together and say, you should listen to the people and do what they tell you so that you will rule well as your father did. And he listens to all his buddies and be like, oh yeah, your dad was tough. That's why they listened to him. You need to be tough too. And guess which ones he listened to? Yeah, he doesn't listen to the wise elders. He listens to his buddies and breaks the kingdom, takes the kingdom of God and splits it. What could possibly be wonderful about that? This is the warning. That's the warning that's going on here. Verse 17. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. See, that's the group that's actually thinking through things rightly. That's the group that's thinking in wisdom. We have work to do. Best put the wine away now. We have work to do. Best eat enough so that we have our strength and not enough so that we need a nap. I mean, there's no worse feeling. You ever make that mistake if you have a lot of work to do outside and you, you come inside for lunch and you eat just a little bit too much and then you go back outside and you're like, oh, this was such a mistake. I should have had a sandwich and a soda and gone back to work. What have I done? <laughs> and you're done for the rest of the day. Luke 12. He said to his disciples, for this reason, I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. There's a higher focus. You don't just eat so you can enjoy yourself. Golden Corral is evil. Remember that. Because <laughs> what are the rules of Golden Corral? The meal is not over when I am full. The meal is over when? When I hate myself. <laughs> You've done it. And you've hated yourself for it. And I'm not going to tell you it's okay. <laughs> this is the wisdom as, as it is supposed to be. This group will avoid the problems of the next verse. Or the problems of the previous verse. Verse 18. Through indolence, the rafters sag. Through slackness, the house leaks. Men prepare a meal for enjoyment. And wine makes life merry. And money is the answer to everything. Okay, that's how the verse 16 people live. Is that how you're supposed to live? No. You're supposed to have a higher standard, a better understanding. Now, enter into a world where people live like this. Enter into a world where rulers and elders and leaders and children and parents live like this. What could possibly go wrong? Welcome to your modern world. When God is forgotten, we will find truth and satisfaction where? Somewhere else. Now, find truth and satisfaction in something that is not God, and you have found truth and satisfaction in what? What do we call that thing you have elevated to the status of God that is not God? An idol. You have entered into idolatry. What will that idol do? It will crush the heart of its worshiper and you will be broken upon it and you will be downtrodden, which is why you must love the war because this is the heart of the human every single time. Is it feels good to eat that good meal and be full and to be satisfied. It feels good to relax when there's work to do and I don't want to get it done. It feels good to procrastinate because I don't want to get it done today. I have time to do it tomorrow. It'll be fine. It's a pattern for life, and it's a pattern that leads to destruction. This is the wisdom of Solomon on display. This is the good thing. I'm not telling you you can never procrastinate. I'm not telling you you can never rest. I'm telling you you have to be evaluative. You have to think through your world and determine what is good and right now. I can't be faithful tomorrow. Why? I can't ever live in tomorrow. When are you faithful, Christian? 
now. Want to be faithful tomorrow? Be faithful now. When tomorrow becomes now, you will be faithful tomorrow. See how that works? Simple little equation that makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> this is how you have to live, though, day in and day out. Verse 20, final, chat, final part. Furthermore, in your bedchamber, do not curse a king, and in your sleeping rooms, do not curse a rich man, for a bird of the heavens will carry the sound, and the winged creature will make the matter known. <sighs> well, now why'd you have to go and tell me that? Wasn't it more fun when I could be mad at them all? Wasn't it more fun when I could look at the foolishness of the world and hate it, and be angry at it, and curse it, and call them names, and rejoice in my righteousness? Wasn't that better? No. Made you feel good, but that tool is foolishness. That too is iniquity. That too is vanity and striving after the wind. This is a warning, Christian. To whom do you belong? You belong to Christ. For whom do you live? Christ. Therefore, you do not live as an adversary to the world in this manner. You do not live to hate the world. You live to hate your sin. And there's a difference between those two things. Do not equate the entirety of the world with the entirety of your sin. Equate the evils of the world with the evils of their sin. And remember that your battle is not against flesh and blood, but you're fighting a higher war and you do it with a right focus. Hebrews 12. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance, the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's your focus, Christian. That's your hope, Christian. As you enter into the world, you can then stand on the right foundation and call the balls and strikes as they are rightly seen. Not hating the world, but hating the sin that is corrupting it. Not hating the people, but hating the sin that has corrupted them and pointing them in the right direction because here's what's going to happen. If you lose that perspective, this will become your life. You will despise the world, you will despise the sin of this world, and you will hate the people that are engaging in it every single time. When I read that nice, lovely list of, of socialists earlier, what did you think about them? You were like, oh, I love those guys. They need Jesus. You were like, I hope they rot. It's okay, you thought it. That's the bitterness and anger and hatred in the world. Christian, it'll corrupt you in ways you can't understand. Avoid it. Fight it. Recognize we live and serve Jesus. We fight for a kingdom that is not of this world. We fight for a kingdom that is of a better place. And we fight on behalf of a Savior that redeemed even us. Therefore, there is hope. Therefore, there is security. Therefore, we can enter into this world rightly, resting on our foundations, proclaiming the truth, and knowing that it is God who will overcome. Let's pray.